0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We're recording this show on October sixth, twenty fifteen, a particularly open, interesting, and undefined moment in the global political economy, full of threats but also full of opportunities. We'll talk through some of the biggest questions in the world right now and how they may affect you. Ronaldo, let's start with China and the international trade relationships there.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, you know, we just had this visit from China, Matt, and 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 I'm going to segue into the TPP, the Trans-Pacific partnership. Um, but you know China is this fascinating case. So just yesterday, the International Monetary Fund reviewed its global economic forecast. And in that forecast, it did not change up or down its original projection for China for this year, which I believe was at 6.8% GDP growth. Now, to give you some idea how good that is, we barely scraped by 2% last quarter in the U.S., and 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 we're going to be doing probably three to three and a quarter percent for the full year. I mean, I think we'll we'll end up doing that going forward. But but we we're talking about a rate in China of double the U.S. growth, and people are concerned about it being a slowdown. It's not a slowdown. It's a shift from a commodities buying boom because they were investing in infrastructure in China. You know, they went from no trains to the most ex, ex, extensive high-speed rail network in the world in ten years flat. So they've been investing enormously. They've got all kinds of building booms that are now plaguing them. They're trying to cut back on on on, on capital investments, et cetera. So the commodities markets are 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 going lower, and as a result, people are you know getting concerned about China. China's growth is just fine. In fact, Xi is doing this great job of of navigating between a, a capital-intensive, infrastructure-driven, spending-driven model to a consumer-driven model and he's going to do it and, contain, and, and, and maintain a 6.8% growth rate. So, so at 6.8%, China is actually doing a great job of walking the tightrope between the capital-intensive, commodities-driven, infrastructure-spending model to the consumer model it wants to get to. India, at the same time, is even exceeding China, as we've been talking a lot on the show about India over the months uh, since Modi's election. India is doing about 7% growth. So those two markets are doing phenomenal. Then you've got, you know, the U.K. is up a, a point or two. You've got other uh, industrial economies, like the U.S. will be up over 3% most likely. You've got um, uh, Japan is going to probably hang on with a little bit over 1%. Uh, the Eurozone itself is coming up in part because Italy and Spain are bouncing back quicker now that the Greek crisis is partially over. So you've got all these things going on simultaneously, and along comes G visiting the U.S. What's that about? And by the way, while he's here, he had the unfortunate problem that the exact challenge with China manifested two days after he left. He reached agreement with President Obama that they would that the Chinese military would stop hacking U.S. companies to get trade secrets. Within two days after he left, the head of the division and then the Chinese military that does that hacking said, well, "Now basically we're to keep business as usual. It's a competitive tool for us." So. And by the way, you never see that kind of disagreement in the Chinese Communist Party. One wonders what will happen to the person who made that statement when she when was flying back. But the, the, what, it, what it highlights, Matt, and this is what people need to be following with China, China is now the second largest global economy. It's a highly totalitarian state. Its freedom of press has never been worse. They're executing this incredible pirouette after 20 years of, of high growth, and they're maintaining very high growth and, and becoming a consumer economy. In the process of doing all that, they're also taking coral atolls in the South China Sea and turning them into brand-new islands and militarizing those islands. So China's definitely remilitarizing, and it's scaring the heck out of all their neighbors. It's And, and this is part of the impetus for TPP. Now, in addition to what China's doing – it, it, this hack is government-sanctioned sanction, hacking, which is run by the Chinese military and which we track now quite closely. You've got uh, the building of these islands offshore, and you've got other forms of hegemony, such as the, the way they are abusing lots of the cl- people in, the, uh, in developing countries where they're going for the raw materials. Now, in the face of all that, it is clear that the entire world is going through a rebalancing. We're going to talk about this in a minute when we come to oil prices. And, and, in fact, what you're going to see is oil demand in China will continue to go up, not down. So people who think that China's not buying enough oil, and that's why the price is down, are missing the boat. But the point we want to make for this part of the conversation is TPP. If the Obama administration believes that the way to counterbalance the enormous power of China in global markets is by passing TPP, which is a, a trade agreement amongst 11 nations that basically, you know, a third of the global economy... That is a misunderstood piece of economics. Obama's barking up the wrong tree. A, it won't change anything. B, it's probably a very bad thing for American consumers. And C, it's certainly a bad thing for what we believe to be some of the most abusive portions of the global multinational U.S. corporate world. Now, I haven't seen the actual wording of the document because it hasn't been released yet. But from what I understand, there was a trade-off made at the 11th hour, where the Australians are going to get to sell us more sugar, in return for which we took, a, we, took a, we caved in for big pharma. Uh, and I'll give you an example. They're, what they're doing is they're enshrining that big pharma cannot have a competitor drug. So you've been reading about these prices where big pharma's been putting these huge price increases through, and they haven't, right. it. unconscionable, right? Well, they will have the right to not let anybody in the 11 nations, which means all the people who make cheaper generic drugs, they won't be allowed to make generic drugs for a minimum of five years, and frankly, that's not the most of it because there are several ways they can get extensions. So what they're really doing is blocking generic drugs from the market in return for which Australia gets to sell us a little more sugar. We got had in both directions on that trade because Obama is being too closely advised by big business. From what I've seen so far, and that's just one of the compromises in there that I think is crazy. I think there's some compromises in there from Montana that are absolutely nuts. So... What I'm seeing, and I will, I will reserve final judgment until I read it, but it looks to me like the people listening to this radio show better. Call their congressmen, call their senators and tell them, stop the TPP. It's bad for America. It is definitely going to decrease jobs. It's going to further enshrine some industries, big pharma, Monsanto, agribusiness, in ways that we never would want to protect them. And it's not going to get us that much in return. And we're doing it because we're afraid of China, and we're actually addressing the wrong part of the Chinese puzzle. The part of the Chinese puzzle we want to address is not their economic prowess. That's actually holding global GDP up. What we want to address is the way they conduct themselves in foreign affairs around the world, and I think we can do that, and the TPP has nothing to do with that, and that's the real issue.
1: There's also a real issue around uh, sovereignty, right? And and some of this agreement potentially could limit uh, countries, including the United States, and their ability to uh, essentially... Had their laws apply to international businesses, that seems like a real a real threat to democracy as, as a concept. Well,
0: I, it's, not a, it's not a threat to democracy. What it is is it's it's a threat to markets working properly. In other words, if you gouge selling drugs in America, you're not going to be protected by that same gouging in another country. So right now, as you know, no one pays American drug companies more than Americans do. So Germany buys American drugs for approximately 40% less than we pay here, and that includes the cost of shipping. Why is that? Because Germany doesn't let people gouge. Well, if Germany was part of the TPP, their ability to stop gouging would be reduced. So I'm not as concerned about it as a matter of national sovereignty. Frankly, I think nation states are probably a, a thing of the past. But what I'm really concerned about is that someone like Big Pharma would then get international global protection to not only continue the gouging but accelerate it we do not need to put more power in the hands of very few economic interests that's going in the wrong direction that is what has led us to the crisis we're in now it's what's led to the weakness in the global economy it's what's leading to the the crisis in climate change the last thing we want to do is give more power to big pharma and big agribusiness what we want to do is have them be subjected once and for all to the power of the marketplace to an even playing field and if you're going to gouge on a on a drug and a generic can be produced that will save lives for a tiny, tiny fraction, like one one hundredth or less of what you charge. You know what? Get your prices down, or be prepared to face that competition.
1: My point is, you know, I agree with you that the there needs to be an international order, and just like you're saying, we shouldn't let Monsanto's of the world and the big pharma set the rules of that international order. It should absolutely. be absolutely. Uh a democratically, a democratic process of some kind that actually retains the people and, and the power of, of people's choices over the power of big business.
0: Yeah, and the way to, the way you know you're getting a fair shake, Matt, is if they negotiate it in public. I understand why they don't want to negotiate in public. I understand they don't think that, that they couldn't run Mother Teresa uh, for office in this country because the Republicans would tear her apart. The bottom line is the Republican Congress is dysfunctional. Everybody knows that. It couldn't be more apparent than what happened this week, and we'll talk about it later in the show. But this, the, the way you get a trade deal that you're going to like, every one of those countries, I believe, if not every one of them, virtually every one it might be 9 out of 11, but I think it's all 11, have existing what are called bilateral trade relations with the U.S. If the, if the Australians want to sell us more sugar, and Lord knows why we would want to dry, drink it when, when we'd buy it, because you know, sugar drinks are down 25% just in the last decade. So, I mean, finally, Americans are starting to deal with this obesity crisis. And we're starting to say, you know, we eat too much sugar in this country. So why would we trade Australia and give them the right to sell us more sugar when it does nothing for us? Now, if, you've got, if Australia's got something you want to trade for, by all means trade. But I like the idea of talking about it in public. Is it a good bilateral trade off? If it is, great, let's do it. If it's not, let it go. I, I, I really don't think it's in our interest at this time to use something as comprehensive and frankly as unwielding as an 11-nation trade agreement to to to, to reassign everybody's piece at 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 the bo- at, on, at the desk. So everybody's at the table now. we getting ready to eat and we're reassigning people in secret to new positions, which they basically got by having the presidency here in secret, you know that the people with the most expensive lobbyists and the most lawyers are going to win at that banquet, at that buffet. And they're winning. And, and, and the price of that is things that Americans are giving up every day, which do not provide us with an adequate offsetting advantage. I'm absolutely convinced that when I read this document, I'll 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 resonate further with this line. But I believe right now my initial reaction is get on the phone, call your congressman, call your senators, write them, tell them, stop TPP. It's a bad idea for America. It's a bad idea for the world, candidly.
1: So, Ronaldo, before we move on to news about the United States, I'd like to share something with our audience that we've been working on. Uh, There's a real lack of optimism in today's media, and every night you hear about the doom and gloom, of the variety of conflicts around the globe, the intractability of political and economic crises, or just the daily crime rundown in your in your neighborhood from your local news. Well, the Academy has teamed up with The Optimist magazine to bring you a free daily dose of what we're calling solutions news, which is grounded in hard facts and provides an optimistic look at the various things that are going right in the world. Uh, Ronaldo, can you talk a little bit about why we decided to do this and what the product is?
0: yeah i would love to and and he, first of all i believe that there's an extraordinarily um uh, extraordinarily good opportunity to uh the consciousness of the way people experience their everyday life and i cannot tell you how important that would be when you shift someone's consciousness you help them shift their consciousness you sh- you, you help them shift into a whole new level of potentiality, both as an individual, as a family, as a region, as a nation, as a world. To address that, what we've launched, and we want everybody listening to the show to take a free service from us. They're going to love it. It's called The Optimus Daily. And what it is, comes straight to your email. Your, it's, it's five days a week, Monday through Friday. It's absolutely free. Uh, and you'll tell us in a second, Matt, how they can sign up. And they're going to get five positive news stories a day, and they can read all five of them in less than five minutes. And these are stories about things that really matter. These are stories about breakthroughs in renewable energy, breakthroughs in our treatment of uh, the criminally insane, breakthroughs in our treatment of the homeless, breakthroughs in our own understanding of human psychology and sociology. And these breakthroughs, and we call them positive, sustainable, real News, and what we what we're trying to do is provide an antidote to c- traditional media, which has had since William Randolph Hearst first came up with the term, "if it bleeds, it leads." So what's happened is our media has be- has trivialized itself to the point where even the ostensibly best carriers of media twenty years ago, one would have argued, say CNN, certainly uh, network news uh, under. Uh, everybody all the way up through to probably Tom Brokaw ended up with a real news. Now it's happy talk. Now it's infotainment. It's entertainment information presented in an entertaining way. What we're doing with the Optimist Daily, which is a joint venture of ourselves and our associates over at the Optimist with this free service, which comes it hits your email. You can see at a glance what the five stories are. There's one, line that tells you each story, you click on it, and you can read a paragraph about each story, see a, see a physical image that depicts the story. And if you want to read the whole story, you can click on get it to the whole story. But if all you want is a paragraph summary of that story, which basically we write and condenses it into something very useful and handy, and it, basically the key facts are in that first one paragraph, That's never longer than 100 words. So we would love to suggest that people would subscribe for this service. Have good news on your desk every single day. Start your day with good news, because when you do, it changes your attitude, and that's what changes your consciousness. So I I would love for uh, you to throw in your own thoughts, because I know when we started this, Matt, you were not the big believer you became, and you've become a bigger believer in in watching it. Tell
1: me why. Yes. Well, I'm a former journalist, so I was a little bit cynical about this concept. Uh, I thought good news was mostly... Fluff and happy talk, and serious people were really focused on what was going wrong in the world. But I signed up for the service anyway, and and I eventually started looking at it. And then once I did, I realized that I was reading, you know, four or five of the of the stories every day, and I, not only the summaries, but I'd actually click through to see the stories, you know, about renewable energy or about policies that were working to really change uh, culture and society and about the way the developing world is being benefited by innovation and technology. It was just amazing. Um, And it really does change the way I see the world, actually. Uh, I I think that it's helped me become more optimistic and more uh, driven and and inspired as opposed to kind of bowled over or depressed by the news every day.
0: Yeah, it kind of counterbalances it for me. By the way, let me just read you the headlines for today, just so people get an idea what these stories are. So here are the five stories you would have gotten today. Renewables will make up a quarter of Africa's energy needs by 2030. That's amazing. Another story. If you spend real FaceTime, not on FaceTime, but real FaceTime with your loved ones, it'll prevent depression. Next one. World's extreme poverty at an all-time low, according to the World Bank. The next one. A Scottish distillery produces biofuel out of whiskey residue. And last but not least, I love this one. Bring excitement to your everyday life with these five. Fun tricks and what it is, it's just five things you can do that are kind of fun to start your day off with, so that's what you would have gotten, and you would have been able to read all five of those stories literally in under five minutes, so unless you want to go to the you know full story but I, I just think it's a great service. I want people to take it uh because it is free, and it will give them an opportunity to really experience a whole different way of looking at the world because you'll be looking at positive sustainable solutions every day rather than what's wrong.
1: Yeah, and the way to get there is to go to worldbusiness.org forward slash optimist. Again, that's worldbusiness.org forward slash optimist. And I'll have that link in the show notes for this show. You know, the other thing that I really like about it is that it's 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 delivered to me a whole bunch of new sources of information that I didn't know even existed on the Internet. Uh, including, you know, Psychology Today and various uh, green publications that are really good quality, and I read other things from them now that I didn't know about until I found The Optimist. So it's really good for research purposes. It's really great for people who are, you know, in communications or just are interested in sharing good information with their social networks. You'll find a lot of it through this service.
0: Yeah, and and as an example, I mean, just as an example, if you are doing any kind of research on... um, electric vehicles. There's a way, once you're a subscriber, to actually be able to search back in thousands and thousands of articles that we've had on electric vehicles. If you are interested in um, any one of a bunch of topics, energy, education, business, design, finance, global warming, women's issues, self, economy, sharing, all these different things, can actually be researched if you uh, if you want to get involved deeper with the service. But even if you just want to take the free basic service, you'll see these kinds of stories crossing your desktop every single day. It, you couldn't have a better way to start your day than to spend five minutes finding out what's positive and sustainable that's a solution that's working in the world today somewhere.
1: Absolutely. And again, I'll, I'll include the link in the in the show notes here. Uh, and Ronaldo, I think I think now's a good time to move on here to the US economy and politics. Um, you know, the domestic economy and the domestic politics are really at issue as we move towards this uh, ever increasing amount of craziness in the presidential race. But I think we should step back from that first and talk about the the, the action by the Federal Reserve or inaction.
0: Well, um, the Federal Reserve um, it was concerned that the uh, unemployment rate is staying at about 5.1%. We didn't create the jobs last month that we thought we – well, that we have been creating. I think it was down around 175000 And the, 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 the head of the Fed, Janice Yellen, a couple of years ago made an observation, which I think is still something she believes, and that is you don't start to get an improvement in workers' wages in, in, in actual benefits to the common man until you get a little below structural unemployment, so I think she believes that at five point one percent we're not quite there yet, and that would indicate that um, they are going to hold off a little longer uh, with their with their increase <laughs> at the same time I got to tell you it just happened yesterday the u s government, for the first time and I think in its history, issued bonds that carried a zero percent coupon rate. Never, I mean, that's never happened before. So the government is basically borrowing money for free because right. the interest rates have been depressed so long. Now, that can't continue for a whole bunch of reasons. If you want, people can ask me questions, and I'll be happy to explain why you can't continue to have that indefinitely. We've had virtually no interest for 10 years now. The Fed knows it's got to take those interest rates up. So I'm actually hoping that before the year is out, they will do at least a quarter-point rise. I think it's possible. I think there's a 50-50 chance they will. This last month's labor thing puts a little dint on it. But I do believe that early in 2016, if it's not in late 2015, we will have to see a rate increase. The Fed's just got to do it for a whole bunch of really good economic reasons, and it's in our our best interest to do so. We've given enough free money to the banks at this point. So that's the Federal Reserve quickly. I don't expect anything to come out of the Fed to change much, except if you noticed when the Fed chose not to raise rates, the stock market rebounded. And what I just want to say about that is I want to urge people listening to this show, please do not confuse what the stock market does with reality. And certainly don't confuse what Wall Street does with Main Street. So this show and our observations are about the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker like about the people who little, literally run all the small businesses across this nation it's about the about the the, the blue collar worker or the white collar worker in retail who's trying so hard to get by and is barely making it it's about the 98% of the population that have had no benefit whatsoever from the end of the recession or marginal benefit in fact the best benefit they've gotten is the price of oil has gone down so they've got more money in their jeans cuz they're putting less on their gas tank but that's about it so I really want to urge people uh, to look at the U.S., which will continue to grow, and I think we will do at least three and a quarter percent GDP growth next year. Uh, but I want, to look, I want to look at all these uh, factors and say, you know, the, the Federal Reserve's policy is going to have to change, whether it changes in 30 days, 90 days, or 120 days. shouldn't be a major conversation. And everybody agrees it should change. What the major conversations have to be is, why is it the market does that, and should we care?
1: It's a great question, Ronaldo. And, and to that point, I mean, I think that the the you know, the, the small business people and the citizens of the United States and the world, actually, but really rely on the U.S. government to make good decisions and to be responsible. And we've seen for the past, almost the entire length of the Obama presidency, I guess since uh, 2010, the, there's been a real lack of responsible action by Congress uh, in, in their uh, even just passing a budget resolution. And we've seen this because they they can't get their own party to agree on what their priorities are, and if they are either going to tear the government apart and let the let us default on our debt, or whether we're going to actually have a have a sane economic policy that at least gives people some sort of assurance. And I don't mean to just blame Republicans, but there is a small minority of Republicans, or a small caucus in the Republican Party that's been really playing politics with the the economy. And that's all up in the air again as John Boehner, the longtime Speaker of the House, is resigning. And he announced his resignation right after the Pope's visit, essentially uh, to to get through this next round of creating a budget for the rest of the year. But I wanted to hear what your your thoughts are on, on the kind of unknown of who the next Republican Speaker is going to be.
0: First of all, the, the, the fact that they're even seriously upset with Boehner that he wasn't going to shut down the government in October – over Planned Parenthood funding is appalling and for those of you who don't know this Planned Parenthood does not receive any money directly from the U.S. government for no reason it only receives Medicare reimbursement for services that are approved under Medicare to get reimbursed for their services like any other medical facility and of course as many people know who listen to this uh, Planned Parenthood is one of the primary deliverers of of services to women particularly for reproductive health issues, but generally. So it, basically this is a women's health issue, and they don't get any money for nothing. They only get it when they supply the health services to a woman, and then they bill Medicare as they should. So the whole idea that Planned Parenthood is somehow ripping off the federal government is just crazy, and that you would bring the government to a standstill, to literally stop the U.S. government over such a flimsy issue tells you that the lunatics are running the asylum, Now, Boehner resigned because he didn't want to go through another excruciating, and probably uh, he would have been defeated. I mean, did you see that when Rubio announced Boehner's resignation in front of a right-wing conservative group that he was speaking to, there was a standing ovation. Now, why why would the right-wing Republicans be that cheerful that a Republican Speaker of the House has been basically taken down? It shows you a level of it's almost like at the at the end of the uh, the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century, when we were going into the industrial era, and we had this group called the Luddites. And they went around breaking machines because they said the Industrial Revolution will destroy humans. They'll take the jobs that humans used to have. They literally went around destroying machines just to destroy them under the mistaken belief that that would somehow improve jobs. Well, the Republican caucus, which is about, I'm going to say, at least – 30 percent of the house because it comes out of gerrymandered districts which considers itself the tea party caucus which has been driving the ship now constantly into one tragic shoal after the other that group of people are like modern day luddites they're trying to break the u.s government because they believe that no government's better than the government they got it's insane but they believe that so they want to stop it and they'll find any excuse they can Today it's Planned Parenthood. Yesterday it was something else. Tomorrow will be something else. And there's a real question in my mind, what's going to happen? Because until Kevin McCarthy accidentally told the truth on television, that, which everybody knew anyway, it's not like it was a surprise, the Benghazi hearings, which now have run longer than Watergate, for God's sakes, where not one single thing has been turned up that anybody did anything wrong, when you're talking about such a massive amount of time and energy and money, which continues to this day, and that it was all done in order to hurt Hillary Clinton's chances of becoming president. When McCarthy accidentally said the truth, what it did is it opened McCarthy up to being attacked by his own party because he obviously doesn't know what to say on camera. And if you're the Speaker of the House, knowing what to speak is important. So I think that, um, I think that Boehner is grateful that he got out. The deal he cut was he agreed to put through one last um, temporary measure for the budget, goes from october to december we are literally sitting here where by the second third week of december the government could be closed by whoever the new speaker is because of an inability to get a continuing continuing resolution through the congress now i don't know what people are going to do about that i know if i were the president i would absolutely be willing to look at the most extreme of measures as an example if the government ceases to function because the congress cannot pass a bill. I would urge the president to look at the possibility of issuing script. We haven't done it since the Civil War, but maybe it's time to do it again. In other words, have the federal government say the Congress has broken down. One wing of of government is, is not functional right now. So we can't go by the normal situation that we have. So we can't authorize traditional money the way we have allowed for in our Constitution. So we'll create a new class of money called script, which is an alternative currency, as you know, Matt. And by creating an alternative currency, he will completely—he'll well, complete, end run most of the worst consequences. And at that point, by the way, he could create script for anything. So he could create script for a national infrastructure rebuilding program. Wouldn't that be great? Let's fix the 54% of the bridges in this country that are unsafe to drive on.
1: So, Renov, we'll how would that work? How, how would script work?
0: Well, what script would do is it would be a promise to pay by the current sitting federal government. And the, the people who used that script would have to be willing to assume that the federal government, when it did get back in order, would redeem its script, just like it did at the end of uh, the Civil War. Uh, by the way, we had a recent example of this. California had to issue script a few years ago, very recently. And people had to trust that the state of California would redeem that script once it got its budget act together. And sure enough, after a couple of referendum by the people, California got its House back in order, literally. All the chican- chicanery stopped. California has had a re- renaissance in terms of its economy. It's now back as a highly rated bond. So it's, its finances are in great shape. People don't realize California's finances right now are in great shape. But we're, we're running positive budget surpluses every year because we changed the underlying political crisis that was causing the deficits in the first place. In California, it was caused by the fact that it required a two-thirds vote to get the budget passed in a year. So everybody who – every single assemblyman in some podunk little town was holding up everybody else unless they got an extra piece of pork. So the budget came up with so much pork, it was always in deficit. It wasn't even smart deficit. So It wasn't it wasn't productive deficit. It was destructive deficit. So by eliminating the, the two-thirds requirement to pass a budget, which the people of the state of California did, and by changing the way the, the the districts are set for election from the parties, the political parties get to set them for their own convenience, the Democrats and Republicans, to where the, the people set it through a commission, so now we're beginning to unwind the gerrymandering, those two things together have unlocked an extremely positive uh, state of situation for California, both economically and politically. Now, it issued script when it was in that crisis, which lasted several years. But the script was only around for, as I recall, less than a year because they issued it, and then almost immediately even uh, the Assembly realized that it, it couldn't continue this way. Well, we need a crisis of that type, apparently, and a president willing to grab the bull by the horns, apparently, in order to get past this crisis in the Congress. But I'm very, very concerned about the fact that this Congress does not look like it's going to be able to put a continuing resolution together by December which is when the current authorization runs out, that Boehner negotiated a two-month extension, two-and-a-half-month extension, in return for which he agreed to resign. He got that. And so he got his going-away present, and he won't be be involved in this catfight going forward. I'm sure he's relieved. But come December, we're going to have this crisis on our hands. And I don't know who's going to take Boehner's place. McCarthy looks like he's badly wounded to me. Uh, Jason Chaffetz, Tea Party darling, uh, is frankly not an attractive possibility, uh, but a very but much beloved by the Tea Party Caucus, one of the leaders of it. So if he gets in, my guess is you're going to have even more craziness. I don't know. But whoever becomes Speaker of the House is going to have to be willing to get rid of what's called the Haster Rule. Now, does everybody know who Dennis Hastert was? Former Speaker of the House? Yeah. By the way, you know he's now a convicted felon, right? Yeah. Um, Dennis Hastert, uh, action, and he's convicted felon because he intentionally broke the laws of the United States and did secret money transfers to pay hush money to a young man who he was allegedly had uh, sexually abused when he was a wrestling coach uh, in high school. Uh, high school wrestling coach before he went to Congress. And anyway, Hastert passed this very silly rule, and the rule says you can't approve a bill if you're Republican Congress unless the Republican caucus agrees with it. So he handcuffed the speaker himself by saying, if I can't get a majority of the Republicans to go along, I won't use Democrat votes to pass legislation. Well, the only times that Boehner's been able to do the right thing by the country was when he decided at the very end, which he did recently, to go past the Haster rule and say, you know what? If I need a majority of Democrats and a, and a minority of Republicans I'm willing to do that to move the country forward. That's way more logical than playing pure party politics. So the Hastert rule has got to be abandoned. And the nice thing about the Hastert rule, it can be abandoned by the next Speaker of the House if he just chooses to. Boehner already walked away from it. What I'd say to the next Speaker is don't handcuff yourself. That way you'll have way more control over your own Republican caucus. Anyway, given this craziness that's going on, I'm concerned about the, the, the future. And um, you didn't ask yet, Matt, but I'm going to suggest that the doomsday clock um, is now one minute closer to midnight. Uh, I think we were at 1149, which would have put us 11 minutes before midnight. I think we're down to 10 minutes now. And let's revisit this in November and December and see if the Republicans do take us to the brink once again over the continuing resolution for the federal budget.
1: Yeah, I would would agree with that. I think that, you know, the... The real risk here is that the Tea Party continues to take over the Republican Party and you know our our organization and Ronaldo and I are both not partisan people. We like people who get things done and do the right thing for the country and that happens on both sides of the aisle. Um but really the Tea Party's attitude is is a whole different uh, can of worms. They they want to tear this apart. They want to uh, ruin the progress that the Obama administration has made on the economy, uh, after the der- great recession. And they don't really want to take any prisoners. They, what they do instead is they create a hostage situation where they say, we're not going to pass a resolution, uh, to, to fund the government unless we get our way. And if you, our leader, John Boehner, pass a resolution, you know, go around us and get democratic votes, then we're going to get rid of you. Um, you know, that dynamic, yeah. Ronaldo, that's not going to change as a result of having a new speaker. So I don't know. I don't see a well, way out I don't of know. this I don't, for the, de- I, I for the I Republicans. Don't,
0: I don't know either, but let me give you an example. Something just happened last week that we should be – and this is the kind thing you'd learn about if you take the Daily Optimist. So the Senate, in a rare display of bipartisan unity – so Grassley, a Republican senator, and uh, several Democrats – put together a bill, which for the first time in, I don't know, 25, 30 years, is going to change criminal sentencing. It's the first reasonable attempt at criminal justice reform in several decades. And it was quietly put together because solid, what I would call mature Republicans, recognize that the current system of putting people in jail forever is costing us a fortune, has made us the most incarcerated nation in the world. I mean, nobody puts more of their citizens in jail than we do, which is crazy. And what it's doing is it's destroying us because then when those people come out of jail as convicted felons and with these very long sentences, they have no skills. They go back to crime. I mean, it's just an endless, vicious cycle, which is unbelievably expensive. Well, Grassley, on behalf of the Republicans and the Democrats as a group, got together and put together criminal justice reform. And Cory Booker was involved, by the way, a new senator from Pennsylvania. New Jersey. New Jersey, New Jersey. Uh, and, and, and what I'm fascinated by is, this is a crying need. Everybody's known this for at least a decade. And they quietly got it done, even in the midst of all this falderall going on in the House. Right. So is it possible that the more mature leadership Republicans in the Senate, and I'm not talking about Cruz, obviously, and I'm not even talking about Rubio, I'm talking about the mature leadership, or would they be willing to step up and alter the course of history by coaching their House, the Republican House members, to do the right thing for the good of the party, and frankly for the good of the country, I'll give you an example. One of the things we've been treated to in this in this recent past few months is the Republican presidential race. And it's did you notice that in the last couple of weeks, Trump is starting to indicate that he's willing to drop out of the race? Have you picked up on that?
1: I haven't seen that no.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's now done it twi- two or three times in public. And what he's saying is, look, I'm not a fool, not a masochist. This is a quote. I'm not a masochist. If my poll numbers start dropping because people don't want me, hey, I'll go back to my business. I got a good thing. I don't need I don't need to do this for a living. And it's a very powerful argument, he's obviously trying to keep his poll numbers up. But what's happening is his poll numbers are starting to erode. Carly is coming up very strong, scary in its own right, but she is. And Ben Carson's come up very strong. I think that'll sort itself eventually out. And Rubio's coming up much stronger. So all of a sudden it looks like Rubio and Fiorina, Carly Fiorina have a better shot than Donald Trump. Partially that's happening because the Republican field is winnowing down. So when Scott Walker drops out, who was the lead, he was the one people thought could get it, and he just embarrassed himself repeatedly on the stump and did very poorly in the debates, and he's out of gas, out of money, out of the race. When he dropped out, when Rand Paul dropped out, when, uh, uh, what's his name, the other guy that dropped out? Um, Is Rand Paul officially out? Not officially, but he's pretty much out. But he's basically
1: out, yeah. He's, he's
0: running for Senate. I mean, Yeah, he's running for Senate and, and he's you know he's not spending in money nationally and he's he's basically focusing on the Senate race. So when these happens, these dropouts, people who were even a one percenter, they have to go somewhere. And they're not going to Trump. They're going to Carson and Fiorina. So I, I and Rubio, who's picking up. Uh and you still got Jeb Bush sitting here at six or seven percent, who could end up being the default winner just because he's the Republican establishment. Now, having said all that. What I'm hopeful for is as the Trumps get washed out of this process and as the Carsons are seen as staking out the Tea Party side of the party, what will happen is we will open up an opportunity in the middle of the Republican Party and for, for a more mature leadership. And that more mature leadership, if, they, if it manifests itself in terms of a good candidate for president, could create leadership in the House because that candidate – Will be pushing the house not to do anything stupid and ruin their chance of getting elected next November. Follow me. So,
1: so it could be
0: that there could be adult supervision. So, you would say, is there any way out? Uh, That's that's what I'm seeing as a possibility right now. Does it look good? No. If I thought it looked good, I wouldn't have moved the 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 doomsday clock. I think it looks very bad. But at the same time, you know, that's one scenario, and maybe others will manifest itself.
1: Yeah. So that's kind of the the Republican Party gets religion and starts governing again, hypothesis, which I hope is true. Uh, even if and, it's minimal no, it, governing, minimal yeah. governing. even. Right. Just, just doesn't just stops swinging the hatchet at the body politic, essentially. But my, which was
0: what the, which was what the luddites did to machinery. Right.
1: they're, 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 and, doing, and the, they're doing it to government. Exactly. Right. And, I mean, my, my point is that I, I would love to see that happen. And, The pressures currently at the top of the presidential race are still from the Tea Party. And you're going to have the Republican Party being led by, you know, the Cruz and, to some extent, Rubio and Trump side of the party that are just, you know, loose cannons. Um, So we'll we'll see how it continues to play.
0: Maybe, because, you know, one of the possibilities, Matt, is if the Tea Party doesn't get enough raw meat, meaning its candidate is not the one that's selected, it's entirely possible they'll stay home. They'll so just sit on their hands and say, you know what, it doesn't matter what we do, so why bother going to vote? Because we can't get anybody we like. And there was an interesting thing that happened just last week. A very conservative Republican female congresswoman put up a rant about Obamacare on her website and asked people to write in with their horror stories of Obamacare. And what happened was she had dozens and dozens and dozens of stories unsolicited from people who said Obamacare is great. Gosh, you won't believe what it did for me. I couldn't get insurance right. before. And have you heard of this story?
1: No, I haven't heard about that.
0: Yeah. So what? So so one of the reasons you're not hearing about Obamacare anymore is because too many people are benefiting from it. Right. And so what's happening is the Republicans have realized, even at the congressional level, that's becoming a hot potato against them. So the rhetoric about Obamacare, which was always false that it would cause prices to go up, it didn't. They're coming down or at least actually, to be more accurate, they've, we've dramatically slowed the rate of increase. Um, if we would cut, when we cut Obamacare loose, now, by the way, I like Bernie Sanders' approach to Obamacare. Hillary's is, let's do even more. Bernie is, let's go to a single-payer system. But whether you go the Hillary route or the, the Bernie route, we're not turning back the clock on Obamacare. It's only going to get more embedded from here on out because too many people are benefiting. What I'd like to see happen is similar issues Jumped, drummed up at the congressional level, even in the most Republican, right-wing, conservative districts, if there were a responsible Republican running for president, the problem is, as you know, right now in the primaries, all the Republicans, including people like Jeb Bush, who I think is probably a decent human being, but all of them are are are, are throwing red meat at the base. And so, in in a, in a in a contest where how much red meat and rhetoric can you throw? becomes the defining issue, a guy like Trump, who's an entertainer, whose stock and trade is throwing red meat, he's of course going to do very, very well. When I see his numbers start to come down, as they've begun to, and as the field narrows, I believe they'll come down further. It could very well be that the Republicans are going to find themselves with the Tea Party consolidating on one or two people, splitting the they only got thirty percent of the party to begin with. And if you think about it, that's only 15% of the electorate. So they got 30% of the party, maybe 40. They're going to consolidate that on a couple of candidates, and that leaves a chance for somebody to come up the middle who's more rational. We'll see.
1: Yeah. Well, I uh, I hope you're right, but if I was betting, I'd bet against you. <laughs> well, no, uh, I,
0: I I'm not betting because I I'm afraid yeah. I'm not right. I, I'm just giving you the the hopeful no, I... uh, uh, possibility.
1: You've been reading your Optimus Daily, which is good, and I hope that we do make that turn. Um, and I gotta say, you know, it's 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 really important in some ways. Either way, right? Because this is the moment that the Republican Party gets to decide whether it's the Republican Party still or some other new thing called the Tea Party that is mostly against government. Uh, and and I think this is the deciding uh, year, this 2016 race. So I think we'll have yeah. some more clarity as we move through it.
0: Tea Party will end up sitting it out when when they don't get their guy if they don't or their woman. Anyway, um, let's go to oil prices, because I've I got to yes. share this story with people. Sure, please. So I was approached by a major uh, investment bank. I won't name them, because I don't want to embarrass anybody. About what I thought, given that we track, as you know, oil and commodities and stuff, what did I think about the Goldman Sachs prediction that oil could go to $20 a barrel? And so I researched that. So I looked up where that came from. It came out of a podcast uh, on September 15th that Goldman Sachs did, in which they talked about the long-term price of, go- of oil being at fifty dollars a barrel, which I think is fascinating because, as you recall, Matt, I've said all along, forty-five to sixty-five is the long-term range, and I think it's closer to the forty-five level than the sixty-five. You've heard me say that on the show repeatedly. So Goldman's yeah. now come out with fifty, which is interesting because their old projection was a hundred, but they're now saying long-term we'll bet that oil will go to 50, but it ain't going to go there right away. And in the process, they're saying, it could very well go to as low as 20 because of the excess supply. They didn't predict 20. They said it could go to 20. So I just want to get that clear on the record. Goldman's not predicting 20. What they're saying is the downward pressure on the price of oil is far greater than the upward pressure. And until that downward pressure gets the market to rebalance, i.e. gets supply equal to the demand, you're going to see downward pressure on oil. I think that is absolutely stunningly accurate. It's exactly what we've been saying on this show for many, many months. I'm delighted that they've come around to our point of view, and I wish that people would have used my information on this show six and nine months ago to make a whole lot of money for themselves by uh, selling oil stocks. But what it also says is my current prediction that oil stocks are not going to uh, regain the 50% they've lost. They might regain a little tiny bit of it, but they're not going to regain most of it. Uh, That means Goldman agrees, and if Goldman agrees, that's what's going to happen. So if you sold your oil stocks thinking they wouldn't come back, you did the right thing, whether you're an environmentalist or not. I would differ with Goldman on how they got to the conclusion of $50 as the long-term price. But there's enough in their analysis I agree with. I don't want to quibble. I think that's a good long-term number. It's right where we pegged it. I think there are things that could happen that would bring it lower. Uh, I was asked at this meeting by this investment banker, what did I think the lowest price I'd see of oil in the foreseeable future? And I said, conceivably 35. And I could see that happening as a result of several factors, including Iran starting to pump, et cetera. And I listed a couple other factors. But by and large, I don't think it's going to go to 35. I think it's going to stay in the 40 to 50 range. And over time demand will continue to drop as renewables, which I referred to earlier in the show, as renewables become a larger portion of how we create energy, the demand for oil will drop even as global population rises. Oh and yeah, I I, think that's I right. started at the beginning of the show that China did not reduce its oil consumption. People thought that was part of the drop in price. It is not. Chinese oil consumption is at or above where it was a year ago and will continue to go up because they're buying more cars.
1: Um, Ronaldo. Also, another commodity question that's come up is uh, gold prices. Do you want to weigh in on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's not time to buy yet. Gold's up a little bit. It's around thirteen hundred an ounce. You know, we told people when it was way, way higher to get it out of there. At twelve hundred an ounce, we said, you know, it's still too uncertain as to whether it goes sideways or up. I don't see tremendous upward pressure on gold. I see as much downward pressure as upward. I wouldn't invest in gold just yet. I'd be looking at it for the future, but not yet. Because there's as much deflationary pressure as there is inflationary pressure in the global economy, and for that reason, I don't think gold's a good idea, particularly when you have to pay to hold gold. You either have to store it or you have to keep it as an un- income-producing asset. Whereas, if I contrast uh, taking the same amount of money, you know, a thousand dollars instead of buying gold, which is still going to it's been sitting there for several years and likely will continue to sit there, I take the same thousand dollars and I buy a, a good dividend stock. Uh, you can get uh, 4.5% return on something like Daimler-Chrysler right now. So that $1,000 is going to produce $45 in income per year in a world where interest rates are zero. So there's no sense having that money in your checking account. You might as well put it in Daimler-Chrysler stock. And I think what's going to happen, and by the way, I think uh, GM, although it went up yesterday, so it's not quite as good a buy as it is what it was a week ago, but uh, GM's paying a very high dividend, about 3% or more. Uh, relative to its stock price. A lot of good dividends are out there with really strong companies that I think are perfectly acceptable. Uh, we, we promoted GE as a dividend stock you know, more than a year or two ago, and it's performed beautifully as a result, and it's dragged the price of GE stock up as well, not just the divestures, but how much money GE pays out in dividends. So I think um, the high-paying dividend stocks are going to be the darling of Wall Street for the next foreseeable future. And what I like about it for our listeners is it's a way to earn current income. If you can earn 4 or 5% on your money by owning, say, Daimler Chrysler or 4% on, on General Motors, what will happen is over time the price of that stock will rise because more people will want to make that 4% or 5%. And when the Fed raises interest rates, remember they're all going to raise a quarter of a point. They're not going to go to the moon. And so 4 to 5% yield is still going to look like a very good opportunity. So I, I'm, I'm a big believer in high-dividend stocks rather than gold, and I certainly am a big believer that oil is in for a prolonged period of trouble, hopefully indefinitely, but certainly for the foreseeable future and all the way through 2016.
1: Excellent. Uh, well, Ronaldo, with that, I want to ask if you have any uh, any closing thoughts. One thing that we haven't talked about is the Pope's visit or uh, in the relationship with climate change.
0: Yeah, I just want to – I mean, the, the the Pope is phenomenal. I mean, what he did in uh, in this country – in fact, within the United Nations, um, it it was just phenomenal. To watch him touch on moral issues as a pastor rather than as a politician and just talk from his heart about the impact of climate change on the poorest of the poor, to talk from his heart on the the requirement that we do more to open our borders to people who are refugees from war-torn countries, uh, to talk from his heart about the need for government to function, uh, you know, I, I was so impressed with everything he did when he was here. I think the rest of the country was, too. He provided some moral leadership at a time we badly needed. it. And uh, I'm hoping that the silly season of this campaign is starting to get behind us, that the most extreme and least productive members of the political um, race, that would be Donald Trump for sure, start to fall by the wayside. And as we have a – hopefully we begin to have a more serious conversation about what we are capable of as human beings, we will actually end up in a better place a year from now than we would have been without his visit. And I guess I would end on this note, Matt. Uh, I, I really believe that the only difference we will ever see is the difference we make ourselves. And so the only thing you can really ever change is yourself. But if you change yourself and you contribute with others to changing what's going on around you, you actually change the macro environment with which we all live. So there's a motto of the Academy, and I'll end with this, and I firmly believe it's true. Our job is to share the vision of a world that works, basically. Build the network, keep tying people together so they can see how we can work together, to create positive solutions, and heal the planet. Because without a healthy planet, there can't be a healthy human civilization. Share the vision, build a network, heal the planet. That's what we're here for, and everybody who's listening has a role to play in that.
1: Thank you, Ronaldo, and thank you to our audience on behalf of the World Business Academy uh, please do come to our website at worldbusiness.org to connect with us in between shows and email us at info at with any questions. And tune in next month for the next episode of New Business Paradigms. Until then, thanks for listening, and please do share this show with your friends and family. Thanks, Ronaldo. Thanks,
0: Thanks, Matt.